Doing it live on a Tuesday edition, brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am merely Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the enter on the other end. This is the Dubcast. I have, uh, before we get into the, the topics of the day, and you know, this is the end of May, so this is slim pickings, folks, so we'll do the best we can here. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the thing I want to address with you, I mean, I, I, this is my first kind of spring into summer with kids kind of in school. My my six and four-year-old are kind of in school. My six-year-old definitely is in school, finished his first year of kindergarten. And my four-year-old went three or four days a week. So he's kind of, you know, he had his last day. My kindergartner has his last day tomorrow. And it seems to me that this is straight chaos. And these are little kids. So <laughs> I, I cannot imagine as you, an educator of, uh, of a high school level, what the organization that goes into these last week, are you okay? Have you slept? Are you surviving? <laughs> is things, is everything okay in Ginterland? Do you still have a fiance or a wife? Do you still have, is everything going as, as expected? I have, I have a lovely wife that I, I love very much. She's great. Um, supporting everything you? else, everything else is pretty, um, just straight to hell. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the kids, the kids aren't really that bad. They're doing, they're doing their best. Damn it. They're, they're trying to be present, but they can smell the end of the year. Um, when do you lose? Got, well, I, you know, I've got, uh, let's see, I've got three, I've only got three this year. There was one year I had 13 of these, but I have three senior videos I got to record. Uh, I got final grades, of course, that I got to put in, um, graduations on Saturday, and I'm giving the staff speech on that. I was selected by the senior class to to speak at graduation. So that's fun. Um, yeah. Last time I did that, though, I went, well, okay, I got to tell you a story. This is actually, I really enjoy this story. So last time I did it, I thought it went pretty well. I, I This uh-huh. is the second time I'm giving the speech at graduation. And I told kind of a Civil War story, which, you know, was pretty apropos. I think everybody was kind of expecting that. That's but it was brand. a little long. Yeah, it was well. It was a little long, and I, you know, I, I wanted to pare it back a little bit this time. So, anyway, they announced it via staff email on our, uh, you know, our server or whatever. And I said that my speech was just going to be the entire script of a Simpsons episode. And you know, people are like, "Oh, that's funny." But a couple of days later, uh, the dean at my school pulls me aside he's like johnny you know I don't, I don't really believe this but i've got some concerned uh people higher up who who really need to know that that was a joke that you aren't actually going to read just the entire script of a simpsons episode <laughs> for your speech <laughs> and so i had to assure i had to assure both my boss and then my boss's bosses that i will not actually ruin graduation but i did think of starting the the graduation speech like Homer enters from the left. Bart is sitting <laughs> on the couch watching Itchy and Scratch, and just see what their faces do when I uh, when I start off with that. But we'll see. So you will it'll 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 calm down for you at the end of next week, and and yeah. and then you're going to have summer, and so that you know a relative you know what what summer you have. I'm sure a lot of planning, but you got a lot. So you got that going for you, which is nice. The, the, yeah. This is the time of year where a year ago we're doing the story with that mod has run out. I mean, he's run out of town in in a shocking <laughs> kind of way. And Chris Holtman is hired, and that was kind of a little bit out of no. Not, I mean, it wasn't out of nowhere, but it wasn't. We the assumption was that that Gene did not get the man that he wanted at the time, and and I still stand by that. That that I think Gene went big big game fishing. I've always said that, and he didn't he didn't get a bite or didn't get a big enough bite. 
and he ended up with Holtman. And guess what? It's worked great. I mean, it worked great. So they got yeah. the right guy. It's it's so far one year in has looked like a brilliant hire. But big decisions are made what, wherever you are in your life at this time of year. If you're in some sort of education, when it comes to May, whether you're a student or a teacher, big decisions or coach, big decisions can be made. And, and a big decision was made last week by former Ohio State quarterback Joe Burrow. I said former because, as you know by now, he has officially transferred to LSU. Um, we did a game on the radio show that I currently host down in Columbus with James Laurinaitis. And the game was your Joe Burrow. Let's play your, let's play the, your Joe Burrow game. Not the best for Joe Burrow. You and I played a similar game of this too. Um, mm-hmm. not, not the best for Joe Burrow, but if it's just, if you're just doing what, whatever you would do, if you were, if your brain and your thoughts were in his head and his talent, where would you go? And James and Brandon, Brandon Beam, who produces the show, uh, both said Cincinnati because it was a safe choice and because he knew Luke and he knew he'd be the starter and he knew that um, that that would be a position where he'd play for two years, get a lot of snaps and get a real look to play in the National Football League because of all the snaps he would get over two years. And I said, without hesitation, LSU. Yeah. And I said it like the caveat to it was, is that he won't go there because everything that I've heard of Joe and every kind of feeling I had about what made him tick would was was opposite of the choice of going to LSU because there is no bigger gamble of all of his choices than LSU. I mean, you have a maniac head coach who pounds <laughs> Red Bull without a shirt on. Um, they have never played good offensive football. Never. I mean, never. Their their whole their whole ethos is built on defense and plugging away offensively, despite having as much offensive talent, certainly at the skill positions, as anyone in college football over the last 15 years, they just have not played good offensive football. I mean, Jamarcus Russell had the one year where he threw for a bunch of yards, but other than that, that's about it. And they've gotten nothing out of the quarterback position in a very, very long time. Um, Add to that the fact that it's LSU. They've got a five-star kid coming in at quarterback who's already on campus that's going to be fighting for the job. Um, There's a kid who played last year who's fighting for the job. So this was a reckless choice it was a big bet on you, right? And the reason I oh, said yeah. I would do it is because of the ceiling. The ceiling here is incredible. Um, and and the ability to be the king of the bayou and be Billy Cannon. They haven't had a Heisman winner. Billy Cannon just passed away two days ago. They haven't had a Heisman winner in 60 years. I mean, they, don't, they, don't, they haven't had this. And the ceiling here is just through the roof. You're king of the bayou. You beat Alabama. They'll put a statue um, in, in front of the stadium. You know, if you pull some things off here, like he has a chance to go down as a legend. But I would argue that there's no lower ceiling than failure at LSU. Like he, well, you may never hear from him again. I mean, he might end up on like as an extra on Duck Dynasty. Like you, know, you may never hear from this guy again. So I think that the, that's why this was. I was a little, I was thrilled for it for him because I think of a kid from you know Athens, Ohio, Plains High School, who's been exposed to a lot and played at a big place like Ohio State. And going that fish out of water, it's almost like a reality TV show to go from Athens to Columbus to Baton Rouge. I mean, it's just so different. And from what I could tell, very little collect connections to the staff. It basically was, hey, we need a quarterback. You're a good quarterback. Why don't you come here? And Joe threw caution to the wind and said, the hell with it. I think I will. And it was beautiful. I loved it. I will yeah. root for LSU. But I was really surprised by the choice. I was I was a little surprised too, but it, it's a ballsy move, and I appreciate that. I, I love the I idea too. that he has that kind of confidence in his ability, and he's going to go. You know what? I want to win a national championship. Like, do I think he's going to win a national championship? No, but 
he could like that it's within the realm of possibility with the talent that's on that roster defensively. And if he, he can really like show up and, and be a steady quarterback and, and give them talent of that position since, you know, Jamar, you know, Jamarcus was eating Skittles and, and, you know, doing his Purple thing. Down there. Like I, you know, I just love the fact that you've got a guy who is just, you know, he shooters got to shoot and he, he's taking his shot and he's doing what you would expect a guy like, you know, with the pedigree of like a Braxton Miller or a Terrell Pryor with somebody like that who had that kind of opportunity and said, I want to win a national championship. And I, I love that attitude. I mean, you could play it safe and go to Cincinnati and get a ton of snaps, or you could get some like immediate national recognition by doing that uh, at LSU. And I, I think it's a really cool, like, I think it's a ballsy move. I think it's a really smart move, um, at least in the short term. Who knows what's going to happen in the long term? I mean, you've got, like I said, a, a coach that's just completely nuts uh you have Mm -hmm. no idea how much stability is really going to be there at lsu but you know in all in all reality this is a situation that i think is going to um have a lot of ups and downs for burrow i don't think he's going to be able to come in and just be gangbusters from day one but i also don't think he's going to blow up in his face i think it may take a little bit of time to develop but as far as making a splash especially in the south and especially at a program like lsu I almost think like if that's your goal to win national championships and get in the NFL, you have to do that. Like the, to me, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that you got to do to um, to make an impact and really like go for it. And I, I just think that's cool that he's doing it. So more power to him. I think if you want to be Joe Football. If you want to be yeah. Joe Football, this is what you do. Like if you want to be a legend, you go to LSU. And, and why not? Must. I mean, go I mean, for it, dude. I mean, it, it, that's what I'm saying. That's why I was for it. I mean, right. this is where I would have gone. Because I'm silly like that. I just I didn't think I thought it was kind of against his type or the way that I perceived him. It shows what you what you know on these guys is based on kind of the way that they're they're branded. And I know that's one thing that Ohio State's really big on right now. Uh, they've got that whole thing where build your brand at Ohio State. It's a real focal point in the recruiting of the program now. And they're each kid each kids are going to you know work to develop their own brands. And the brand of Joe Burrow. And and when I say that, it's limited to very little. Work. I've heard from him in interviews this spring and over his course at Ohio State, uh, what I've seen from him on social media, and and then what I knew of him as a high school player in Athens, which I actually knew him, I knew more of him then. You know, I was still in Columbus at Channel 10, and we, we did a lot of high school football, so we would see him every once in a while. Um, I remember taking a chopper down to one of his games on the Plains. Uh, we took Chopper 10 down to one of his games <laughs> on the Plains. So, I mean, we you know, I, I, I go quite a ways back with this kid. Um, this is the home run. I mean, this is the, I mean, Billy Cannon, you think are, like Billy Cannon, there's a, every, the, uh, the movies made was made about him. The, uh, Dennis Quaid movie was made of everybody's all American is Billy Cannon. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's the type of legend that can happen at the South. What, what I was thinking of, we had Jacob Hester on the radio show this week. And I said like, you know, what is he in for? And, um, knowing full well, having attended a game at LSU and have been to a lot of games at Ohio state. It is um, the like in, t- in terms of the game day experience and all of that. And I always think it's silly when people say, you know, LSU or Florida is louder than anywhere else because Ohio State on a night game against a big opponent is as loud as anywhere. Like, there's no, it, it's not any, you know, it's as loud as anywhere. But what I would say about LSU is that is it is as consistently loud as any place I've ever been. Uh, right there with the University of Florida, where almost. When those teams are good, you can't hear yourself think. And in Baton Rouge, it's a party. Um, it is an all day. They play at night every time, every chance they get. They will play at night and they will party all day and they'll be nice and lubed up. You'll ha- he's going to eat great. 
I mean, he's going to eat great. He's going to live great. Um, listen to this schedule, my friend. They open with Miami at Jerry World. Then they have Southeast Louisiana. Then they travel to Auburn, who's going to be good this year. Auburn's going to be good. So yes. they pl- travel to Auburn. Then Louisiana Tech at home. Then Ole Miss and Baton Rouge. Then at Florida. Then Georgia at Baton Rouge. Mississippi State in Baton Rouge. Alabama in Baton Rouge. At Arkansas, Rice, Texas A&M, and College Station. That's just a that pretty damn well. is a murderer's row. Yeah. I mean, you are not going to find three back-to-back tougher game. I mean, if Florida's always got talent, but I don't know what they'll be with Mullen first year. But you're not going to find a tougher three-game stretch than Georgia, Mississippi State, Alabama. Right. And that's, that's the end of October, beginning of November for Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean, he gets some of those guys at home. That sets up pretty well for him to have to like make an impact quickly. Like, yeah, if he's good, you'll know it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That that's going to be one of those things where LSU fans are either going to love that dude or they're going to have him out on a rail, you know, by like by late October, <laughs> early November, because it's you know it's and and that's what happens in the SEC and a lot of other you know, especially when they start really. Uh, front-loading the schedule uh, conference-wise is that you know kind of like what these teams are going to be uh, fairly early on. I mean, it's so I don't I mean, I don't know. It's it's to me what I want to see. I just want to see him like play a full game. Like I, I'm I'm curious to see right. what Joe Burrow is able to do with the full faith and confidence of a coaching staff to run an offense by himself, because that's not something that I think anyone's ever seen. And I, I kind of wonder, I mean, school. Yeah, and and what I'm curious about is, you know, how excited are LSU fans about all this? Is this is this something so where they're like, Tester okay, that. yeah? I asked Tester. He said they yeah. they're thrilled. Like they they okay. believe that they are getting, you know, a star. Like that's the feeling. They feel like right. they've hit a home run. I mean, they feel like they got a guy who who was under Urban Meyer for three years. It's funny how spoiled we are. I mean, this is LSU, right? I mean, this is yeah. Rice. Like, this is LSU, Louisiana State University. They've won two national titles in the last 15 years, 20 years. And and they are doing cartwheels over the fact that they're taking the guy who didn't win the job at Ohio State. And they're do- he was third string last year. And they're, and they're doing it because of three years of Urban Meyer. And they're doing it because they've seen how competent JT Barrett was under Urban. And they're saying, we'd kill for that, right? Mm-hmm. They'd yeah. kill to have that type of co- that type of consistency. So – you know, it's funny, like the position we're in and there's all of this crazy, you know, people bitch about JT and what he did or didn't do. And, you know, that's fine. It's Dwayne Haskins team. You know, Joe, best of luck to you down the road on down the road. And at LSU, they're doing cartwheels because they think they get a guy who had three years of urban, which they do, um, who damn near won the job, which maybe he almost did. And now he's at LSU and they think they had the steal of the century. <laughs> well, it, maybe they did. I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's. A little premature for that. And I feel like it's going to be one of those things where you're, I don't know. I remember seeing <laughs> this isn't, it's not going to be nearly as bad. And I think Joe Burrow is going to be much more successful than this. But I remember my uh, freshman year of college at Ohio State, uh, before the season started, I saw a bunch of people put up uh, signs all over campus with Lydell Ross's face. And it said, Ross is boss. And it you looked love like the Lydell Ross. You always love the Lydell Ross. I know. Ross. Well, because it, I mean, you know, I always go back to it because I bought into it because I'm an idiot. Badass. He's got posters all over campus. People are putting his picture up everywhere. And then I'm like watching him in the game. I'm like, oh, my God, I got I got suckered. Like, I'm an idiot. And I just feel like 
the the worm can turn very quickly and you know i just want to see it on the field i want to like i mean shoot man like joe bowserman had a great game against miami ohio in uh 2011 right that first that first game he kicked some serious butt and then like the rest of the year was just garbage and so i you know I want to see. I want to see the proof on the field. I want to see him actually well, go out. Of course, but this is college football. We're not rational. Exactly right. Yes, nobody's yeah, rational. Right. It, you know, we're, we we were ready to throw uh, throw JT Barrett out with the with the day old bathwater, <laughs> yeah. and we can't wait. And by the way, he's the all time leading passer in the history of the program and the conference. Right. Right. We're like, yeah, we're good. We're moving on. We're ready to move on. So there's nothing rational about college football, and certainly nothing rational about the SEC. I'll tell you, that schedule's nuts. I mean, it's going to be crazy. I'm, 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 I'm all in. Go by you, Bengals. I'll root for Joe as hard as anybody down. I mean, it gives you team, giving you a reason to watch more SEC football, which I enjoy anyway. So, I mean, I'll be dialed into all the, uh, all the Tiger games, and, and I'm rooting for the kid because he carried himself with the utmost class, and he certainly didn't want to leave, but he basically was left with no choice and uh, had to for himself because he's, you know, you got to play. You only get one career. Um, yeah. You know, one, one thing that, that has always been, um. You know, really, since Trestle took the job, and that first press conference of the basketball game, where he said, "However many days from now, you'll and you'll be proud of our kids in the classroom." Blah blah. And how many days in Ann Arbor, Michigan? Um, that every coach and I'll, in the HBO documentary did a great job of, I think, which is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen on sports. And I loved it even before I had any ties to the state. But the the notion of a coach who absolutely gets the rivalry, and we've been lucky to have them the last two. An interesting thing happened over the weekend from Charles Woodson, who's a Michigan great, who said, um, I'm paraphrasing, that Michigan hasn't put enough emphasis on the Ohio State game, that it's just like other games. And I thought that based on everything that I've read and when I used to be around coaches all the times, it, it wasn't true. I mean, Brady Hoke did everything he could. He couldn't help it that he, you know, brought knives to gunfights, but he <laughs> did everything he could. I mean, he called him Ohio. Yep. It seemed like he did everything in his power to make the rivalry important. It's just that he was Brady Hoke and he was coaching against urban Meyer. Like, I mean, what do you can do? There's not what you can do in that scenario. Right. Um, you know, Ohio state hired urban. I mean, the, he won the one with Luke and that was it. And you know, beyond that it's urban and it's just, he's not a fair fight. And it seems like Harbaugh's done everything right. You know, with the rivalry, like he emphasizes it properly. I have a theory where I think this is coming from, but I'm curious if if you have, where do you think this the genesis of this is with with Charles Woodson saying that the Michigan coaches don't take the Ohio? Sure, the results haven't been there, but it seems like they're, it's not as if they're they don't understand the importance of it. I I mean, you're right about that. I, I mean, I think had Michigan won once or twice in the past, you know, six or seven years, um, that would be that that's not a statement he would make. I think it's all about winning. Like when you're winning, you're placing just exactly enough emphasis on it. When you're losing, you're doing something wrong uh, in the game. And it's, it's this weird kind of like psychic, you know, thing that we do with ourselves. Like how much should we get really excited for this? And then how important is it? And, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, is that to me, um, that's kind of, this is going to sound pretty arrogant, but this, this kind of a loser's mentality. Like it's just, you're, you're finding an excuse. I would say that if he's talking about Michigan coaches, maybe he's talking like internally about Michigan high school coaches. Maybe they're not getting enough support stateside. Um, maybe Harbaugh isn't getting the kind of like, you know, help that he needs in the recruiting side, or maybe he's not doing what he needs to be doing in the recruiting side. Uh, but to me, it's, it's, it's 
not as surface level as we just need to be more pumped about it. It's more of an institutional thing that I think you might be hinting at. This is what I think. Um, I think it's petty. And I, <laughs> I, on, I, this is a total theory. It's a, yeah. it's a nonsense theory. I have nothing to back this up. It is a bunch of just nonsense that swirls around in my head. And just having been around college athletes for a long time and understanding um, that sometimes the things that drive them are not the things that would drive you and me. And some of the things that where they feel slighted are not the type of things um, that you and I would feel slighted about. Right. I mean, it just wouldn't. Sure. Um, but Michigan football, you know how I feel about numbers, right? How you can mm -hmm. take a lot into who's getting a number. Michigan football probably should retire Charles Woodson's number, right? Uh, yeah, he's I mean, a, I would say probably the best. Heisman. Yeah, yeah, probably the, the best only defensive player to ever win the Heisman. He was the best player on a perfect season national championship Michigan team. The only national championship for Michigan in what now, 60 years? I mean, <laughs> they're not growing on trees up there, right? No. And Michigan used to retire numbers. And Harbaugh's not retiring numbers. And they... There was all this talk and momentum that they were going to retire number one and they were going to retire number two. They even did that thing where they put the badges on the jerseys and they were going to, uh, you know, you saw they did that where the poor Gardner kid was wearing 99 looking ridiculous. Um, you know, and they, it was an honor of the player, which I actually thought was cool. I wish Ohio State, I think that was a good thing. I think that a lot of teams could do that. Clemson does that too, where they put the badge of the player like they did that with Deshaun Watson um, for Steve Fuller. I mean, I think that was cool. Do you know who has, is wearing number two? Next year for Michigan? No, I don't. Uh, Shea Patterson. <laughs> uh, that's fun. That makes this is sense. a reach. I won't pretend it's not a reach. I won't pretend it's not a reach. But I remember this, and I'll tell you this story, and this is why I think that maybe there might be something to this deep in the recesses of Charles Woodson. There was, at Florida State, there was a five-star, this is in 2001, there was a five-star cornerback um, from the LA area, Diamond Bar, California, named uh, Dominic Robinson, and he was the number one corner in the country. And he was a dual player; he could play, you know, baseball and football. He came in with incredible accolades. He had a bunch of personality, and his favorite player of all time was Deion Sanders. And in the recruiting process, he said, "I want to wear number two. And Bowden, at that time, you know, you could almost tell recruits anything. He said, "Well, yeah, we'll see what we can do." Well, number two is retired for Deion Sanders at, at Florida State, and no one's worn number two for since 1990 or something like that. I mean, forever. No one's worn number two, um, probably mid nineties at, at, at Florida state. So Bowden contacted Dion and said, or someone on the staff didn't said, Hey, we'd like to do it. We'd like your blessing. And Dion said, go straight to hell. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not wearing my number. <laughs> yeah. Know? And Dion would come to campus and he would say, you know, that we'd ask him about it. And it turned out Dominic, who is one of the nicest, great kids of all time, but he never really materialized as a great player. He didn't have the foot speed um, to play corner at that level. So he ended up playing receiver and had a nice career, played a little baseball, but wasn't was never a standout or anything. He was just a kind of a guy on the team. And so, you know, it was something where they misevaluated thinking he was that good to begin with. Um, but. Dion would come back to campus and we would ask him as the media, we would say, Dion, would you ever consider doing it? And he'd always put a big smile on his face and he would act like it was no big deal that it didn't bug him. And he would say, well, we'll see if the young man proves himself, then we'll have a conversation. I mean, that was always his answer to it. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe there's some of that with, with Charles that he's like, how have I not been, I mean, I'm, I'm the defensive MVP of the national football league. I'm a, I'm a gold jacket wearing, you know, I'm in the hall, you know, like, yeah. He's, 
He's one of the best. He's one of the most consequential football players, college and pro, when you combine both careers of the last 25 years. I mean, he he is. We, we, we can say whatever we want about it, but that's what he is. Um, I got a story for you on Ohio State teaming with an unlikely ally. We will get to that, plus ask us anything. Uh, first of all, though, before we get to that, let me re- remind you to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more drygoods.11warriors.com. All right, I mentioned this on the on the other side, and we I was interested to see this. I saw this on the site this week, and it the silly season that is recruiting, right? And it kicks up big time in the summer, and coaches will do anything to get an edge. I mean, it big time college footballs are like the best accountants at tax season. Like they will find every nook and cranny with which they can push the limit of the law. I mean, that's that's just the way it works. And one of the things that I found very fascinating was the fact that Lane Kiffin is having a quote prospect camp. I want to say it's July, July 2nd, or maybe June 2nd down in Boca, obviously fertile recruiting ground. And the coaches that will, the teams that will be there are Oregon, Texas, Michigan, and Ohio state will all have coaches represented at this camp. You will notice that the one school that Kiffin was most recently at will not. Alabama will not be there, um, but Ohio State will be there uh, or will be represented. I don't know if Urban will be there or not. My guess is he would be because this would my guess is Kiffin is going to make sure that the best players in South Florida are going to be there, um, right. which they're among the best in the country. So I'm guessing Urban will be there, that Harbaugh will be there and that Tommy Herman will be there. So they'll have a nice little reunion along with <laughs> Kiffin and Mario Cristobal as a new coach at, at Oregon. But I just found this delightful. That that the lengths to which these guys go, and they'll put up with anything, um, as long in in the name of recruiting, including hanging out with Lane Kiffin for a day. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I'm trying to think of like some sort of movie comparison, something that would be equal to this. Like, is it grumpier old men or grumpy old men, or is it <laughs> like, or is it the scene in the John Adams miniseries when John Adams meets King George and like, they go through these insane, like, you know, they have to go through these insane, uh, I don't know, like rituals to make sure that they can talk with each other without trying to murder each other <laughs> in the same room. Um, I, to me, I, I would love, God dang, I would pay any amount of money to be in a room with Tom Herman, Urban Meyer, and Lane Kiffin, where there's just like and one Harbaugh. knife. Yeah, and Harbaugh. And there's like one knife on the table in between them, and they're all just like talking about recruiting. And then somebody like turns the heat up in the room just like at like five degrees every two minutes and just sees what happens. Like that would be it's incredible. I would love that. It's fascinating to me. I just, it's just delightful. I absolutely adore it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm I just, it, it struck me funny that this was happening and, uh, I wanted to pass along if you haven't seen it on the site, but it's it's a good little story, I think, to say the least. Um, yeah, all right, time for uh, time for ask us anything, my friend. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you guys can ask us anything by sending us an email to dubcast at eleven warriors dot com or at eleven dubcast on Twitter. And I'm going to start off with our our lovely Twitter questions. Um, we'll start off with a, a relatively normal one. This is from uh, Jimmy. Uh, he wants to know. We got a great one next one. Uh, he wants to know, what is the best Mac job, Mac uh, football head coaching job in the state of Ohio? Well, you know, Toledo has had the most success recently, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a neophyte on the Mac, but they have the most, they've had the most, they've been the most traditionally in the mix. Um, Akron, you know, Terry Bounds at Akron, and they've, they've had some success too, and they've got nice, their facilities are pretty good. 
Um, I'll lean on you for your, your Miami. I've understood that Miami's thrown a ton of money into the program and they've had the, you know, obviously have a good academic reputation. Um, relatively (laughs) sure. Relatively, relatively lucrative, uh, recruiting base. I would think that they could pull from down there. Um, Ohio, Ohio is the most, I mean, I'll say this like about, about Ohio university, anybody that I know that goes to OU adores it. Like they don't like it. They oh, yeah. swear that there's no experience on the planet that's even close. Like you could go to you could go to uh, University of Texas in the heyday of Vince Young or Ohio State, and the, whatever you think the dream college experiences is, it's a bunch of nonsense compared to going to Athens and going to OU to people who go there. My sister-in-law went there, loved it, like it just adores it. But there's no real talent down there, um, and you're an hour from a, from a, from an airport, so you can't really recruit there. Um, Toledo, you're able to get, you know, kind of the Michigan, you, there's a lot of talent in that area too. You'd feel like Akron. The only problem is it, it doesn't really have kind of a home. I don't know if there's much home field advantage there. A good buddy of mine played there and, and they had some success. Kent is actually an, I mean, it is an enormous campus. I was shocked. Um, when I, when I went there, you know, last fall, I, I took my boys down there, you know, just to kind of check it out. I couldn't believe how big it was. And there's a ton of talent up in that area. So, I guess I, as, as I kind of just went through them all in my head, this is kind of an, an interesting question. I would say Toledo would be the one where you could step in and win right away, just because they had maybe the right. highest, maybe the highest ceiling for potential is Miami, but I don't know. What's your view on it? Well, Toledo, I mean, Toledo, I think is a really good one just because of the season that they had last year. I mean, they won like 11 games, which is. Yeah, and legit. they've been like that for a while. I mean, they've yeah. been really relevant for a while. Yeah. And, and what it's, it's interesting. You were talking about like campus sizes. I mean, all of these schools are, way bigger than I think people usually think. I mean, Bowling Green they has are. like over Bowling Green's got like 35,000 students mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like I've got yeah, friends been to Bowling Green. I've been to Bowling Green. There's nothing there except for no, 35,000 college students. Um yep. and I've actually been to a, a game at Bowling Green and it was terrible. Um but <laughs> but what I you know, I think like I said, I I think that uh if you really just want to win right away, you know, you, you go up there and you head out towards, uh, you know, you head out towards, uh, Akron, but, uh, Toledo, you know, Toledo played, I think, didn't they play, uh, Akron in the Mac championship last season? Was that yeah, how Toledo won? Yeah, yeah. So they're very yeah, so, similar, very similar schools or right, very similar. I, my perception of them is very similar. Right. And I, I think that would be a pretty, I think that would be a pretty good place that you just kind of go into Miami university, man. Like uh, it has a, a reputation. It's the cradle of coaches and you know, the Cincinnati Lots of money, area, right? Yeah. Lot, tons of money. The Cincinnati area has a ton of football talent, but I will tell you that I have zero faith uh, in the Miami Red Hawks. Like I'm from Middletown. I'm from like 20 minutes away from uh, uh, Miami Oxford's campus. And I, you know, it's just it's a weird thing because uh, they get a ton of local support, ton of very. And when I say local, I mean like immediate local support. And then yeah. honestly, once you get down into the suburbs of Cincinnati or then even up until Dayton, they are a complete afterthought. Like they're gone. Like no one cares. And and to me, like you can get on national television at an Akron or whatever. And, and people are like, Oh, Akron. Okay. Mac, you know, let's do some action and stuff. But for whatever reason, I don't think Miami captures that imagination of anybody. Um, and maybe that's just my bias, you know, coming from a guy who does not particularly appreciate Miami university, but 
Is it just because? Um, is there a? I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't have any bias for them one way or another. I don't yeah, have yeah. anything good or bad. I don't. I'm, everybody says it's a beautiful campus. Oh, it's everybody insane. It's great. It's a good school. They always say all those things. Why? Why is it? Because you're not the first person from Ohio who I've talked <laughs> to who says that about Miami. So what is it about them that people rubs people the wrong way? Just snooty as hell. I mean, it's a really. It's really a. I don't know. It, I did a parody once or some kind of thing on the site uh, where I was talking about Ohio Mac schools and I made like specialized banners for all of them. So I drew a little, yeah. you know, I drew a little Falcon for Bowling Green. I drew a little rocket, you know, for, uh, you know, yeah. rockets and stuff. And then for uh, Miami, my little image for them was just a bunch of cardigan wearing uh, douchebags <laughs> from the eighties, <laughs> you know, with the, with the eighties, you know, business guy haircut, because that's, that's really who they are. And it's like, you know, my, my, my dad's got a degree from Miami, um but i just don't have any real love for that that place it is it's just a very does it make you feel better knowing that the incredible insecurity that must come with the fact that they have to be miami ohio oh yeah yeah they don't like, like that it. they can't be miami yeah they don't I mean, like they're it. not like no, they, they may act like they're miami but even like to your point outside of i would say outside of like a hundred mile radius of their campus they're miami ohio well, the real rivalry really honestly is with Ohio State because the thing is Miami University wants to be the flagship university of Ohio. That's never going to happen, like ever. No. But that's what they want to be. And so there's this really weird one-sided rivalry with Ohio State where they want like Our academics are going to be better and we're going to get, you know, more people. And it's just never going to happen. And, you know, as a guy who grew up reading the Middletown Journal with an inexplicable like half of the front page of the sports section devoted to Miami Redhawks football. And then like maybe four inches of a, you know, an AP wire report explaining what happened in the Ohio state game the previous day. Like it drives me nuts. Like it, it drives me absolutely crazy and nothing against the university itself. It's a fine university. You get a great quality education. Oxford is beautiful. Uh, but just the attitude is just, it, it's mind boggling. Okay. And it's maybe yes, it's all, maybe it's maybe you're misreading all of it. Maybe it's just uh, it's insecurity. all in my head. I'm sure that's maybe entirely it's just possible. insecurity from from the fact that they're not Miami. Yeah, that could be it. I mean, that would drive me nuts. Yeah, and I mean they, you know, they they predate a lot of these other schools that you know oh, it's sure. into their heads. Um, <laughs> let's go to the next question. I want I really want to get to this. By the way, I just got a response from the person who asked this, so I'm really I'm I'm excited about this. This is from Josh. He wants to know, what is your uh, go-to cheese for a cheeseburger when you're grilling out? And then he added, by the way, if our answer is something other than cheddar, we're wrong. <laughs> That's nice. So I, I really believe strongly that there can only be one cheese on a cheeseburger. If it's I, I, My favorite cheese would be a white cheddar, would be my favorite of the che okay. cheeses. I think it's the most versatile. I think it can go on a cracker. It can go on a burger. It can go on salad. It can go on really anything, and it's a win. Um, but if you're making an American cheeseburger, the only answer is gooey, fake American cheese. <laughs> it should melt. It's a, there's a reason it, it, it has to have that, that film to it, that gooey. Oh, I know you're talking about. That, yeah. I mean, it had the Velveeta or the crap, whoever make, you know, that one melted, you know, you put it on, you take the burger, you, you cook it, you know, you do five minutes on each side and you salt and pepper the hell out of it. And you put that thing on in like the last 45 seconds of the mm -hmm. cook and it just kind of absorbs into the meat. That's the only acceptable way, along with a grilled bun. You need a, you need a nice grilled bun. Sesame oh, yeah, you got to butter it up, grill it, absolutely. You got to butter it up and grill the bun. 
Um, that's the only, ex- if, if you're doing an American cheeseburger and you want the best experience, there's a reason that in and out does it this way. There's a reason they use American cheese and McDonald's, everybody. It's because the cheese of, of record is the melted American <laughs> gooey fake cheese. There's only two uses for American cheese. One is to make grilled cheese. And, and that's yeah. really, if you're just really tired and sad and you just got to do it quickly. And then the other is to put it on cheeseburgers. And I'm 100% with you like that. Look, I'll put on a pepper jack, make me feel a little fancy once in a while. But if I'm actually trying to to do it right, it's going to be an American cheese. Uh, cheese it has to be. Yeah. The, the, the consistency, the goo. Yeah. It's the only one that melts that's the right way. I mean, you, yeah, it melts perfectly. Yeah. You got to, you got to do that there. I mean, it's, it's just how it goes. Uh, yeah. Next one here is from Alvin. He wants to know if we could cover any subject matter outside of sports, what would it be? What would be our topic that we, we attack on a regular basis? Like if we were reporters? Well, like let's, just if we say, were... let's just say it was like a topic of the, uh, of the dubcast. Oh, just a topic of the dub. Okay. Well, I think one of the most fascinating things that is, if it's, if it's that big, look, I, I, I use, I love history um, I know you do. I, I would love oh, yeah. to do, you know, I'd love to have those. I love having those conversations with you, even when we're not recording. Um, so, so I love, I, I, I love the civil war. I love history, love all that stuff. Um, but, and so then that's a natural progression to politics, but that that's so depressing right now that I just have no interest really in it. I just makes my brain hurt. So I think the, the one thing that I think would be, a, a that's kind of a fascinating topic is the shift in the paradigm in the last you know, 15 years or so. Um, and I, this is selfish, but the, the shift from uh, m- movies making the most entertaining entertainment for your dollar to television. Yeah. That there's so much great TV out there right now. And there, I, one of the things I really love to do, if I, if I'm find somebody who has enjoyed some of the shows that I've enjoyed is to break them down. One of the most fun things that, that we've done on the dubcast from my vantage point is not talk Ohio state football, but is break down game of Thrones. Oh yeah. Let's go. So, <laughs> So that's, you know, like I would do an hour on that. You know, that would be fun. I would love yeah. to do a TV, how, you know, Oz, the Sopranos, the wire, how all of those things led to breaking bad, mad men, game of Thrones and whatever's coming next. And then Netflix, which is just overwhelming. There's so much stuff on there and a lot of it's apparently good, but I just get terrified even getting into the middle of it. Um, Cause I don't know where to go. Um, so I, that's a, that would be a fun topic because I think it's interesting that like some of the, the best stuff in the last 15 years, most of the best stuff in the last 15 years has been on television, not on film. Oh, yeah. It's crazy that television is like more cinematic than movies in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of these shows. I mean, you watch Game of Thrones like that's that's like 10 crazy. movies every every year. Like it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, the it way is. it's presented. So I, no, that's, I think that's an excellent one. I love talking Game of Thrones. And just to me, you know, because my dad's a communications broadcasting teacher. And, you know, when I'm growing up, he would tell me and my sister about all these, you know, how TV and movies, they have certain tricks and certain approaches towards things and, you know, why they do certain things that they do. And I always thought that was fascinating. Um, so that's definitely something that I like talking about. Um, I think, you know, and this is something, you know, living in Ohio and, and with the history that the state has, I love talking about the history of the state. Um, and not just like civil war necessarily, but even the geographical history, I think is just fascinating. Um, I, I just like learning more about the place that I live in and Ohio, you know, there's a stereotype. And when you're growing up, everybody's like, this is the most boring state. I hate being here, blah, blah. But the, <laughs> everywhere you live is fascinating. And there's so many things about uh, this state and any other state and any other place you might be in that has these crazy histories. And Ohio is just 
teeming with ridiculous stuff that has happened here. Um, and the people who have been like, I just love the history of Ohio. It's just a really fascinating place in a lot of ways. Um, so that's definitely something that I would want to get into a little bit more. And if you guys got questions about that, please do not hesitate to send those in. I will do the minimum amount of research possible to answer your question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we got it. We got several more, you know what? I'm going to hold back a couple, you know, for the, the lean, the lean months of, uh, the off season, but I'll, we'll do this last one here. Cause I think this is a fun one. This yep. is from Brad. He wants to know what is something that you regularly splurge on uh, and what is something uh, you think you should never buy at a value? Never so buy words, at a value. Yeah, so in other words, what's something that you'll always pay full price for? What's something that you regularly like, okay, I'll, I'll drop the extra cash on this to, to make sure I'm getting a quality product? Well, I'm out of control with whiskey. <laughs> I just completely out of I saw I saw the back and forth that you, got, you had with uh, Chris and you guys were like, you know, kind of... Yeah. comparing the the fines it appears that he's he's out of control with it as well yeah um yeah it 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 became probably in the last oh, it's been about 10 years now it's become well it hasn't become i guess it is it is what it is it it, it as a kid i used to hunt baseball cards oh you yeah, know? yeah like you, you just it. wanted the ken griffey jr upper deck Right. right. I mean, or whatever it would be. You get wanted the, flow, that get the hologram cards, get the yeah. ones, that, yeah. like, whatever it was like you hunted baseball cards. That's how I am with whiskey now. Right. Like I, I find it as a personal challenge to, to get rare whiskey. Now, <laughs> one thing I won't do is I will not pay above MSRP. So okay. I don't buy off secondary, you know, sellers. I don't pay $3,000 for a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle on online. I don't do anything stupid like that. But if but if something becomes available, and I've spent more than my wife would ever want to know um, <laughs> on it, uh, if something becomes available that's unique and rare, I buy it. Yeah. And so yeah. I've cultivated relationships, and I've got, I've probably no no BS. I've probably got one of the I have to think one of the best ten or fifteen bourbon selections private in the state of Ohio. There can't that be that many better. Well, we need to we need to catalog this because I think that's fascinating. Like, I want to know exactly what you got. Like, I want to see. I want to get a spreadsheet. I want to go through that stuff. That's cool. A lot of rare stuff. Lots yeah, of rare stuff. Yeah. That's no seriously, no joke. Like, I'd, I'd be really interested to see what what that collection looks like. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, at, at this point, it's it's at least I don't have room for it. I mean, it's at least I it's at least I bet there's at least forty unopened bottles, um, <laughs> and uh, there's a ton that have had one sit, one drink out of. There's right. probably another twenty or thirty that have had one drink out of. That's fantastic. Um, and then there's another fifteen or twenty that have had that are half drink. So <laughs> it's, um, and then there's a bunch of Pappy Van Winkle that's got like two drinks left. So I don't know if I'll ever get another one. You know? Yeah. No. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you you've got something that you really like, I mean, you're, you're gonna hoard that stuff. You're gonna try to make yeah. sure. I'll life. never be able to drink it all. Well, I mean, it's so- a it's a nonsensical accumulation of whiskey makes no sense like i tell like i can pass it on to anybody like what are you going to do with it you know if you're ever in a duck and cover situation you got to hunker down the bunker for like four or five years you're set you're good yeah right you know it's not going to be it's not gonna be like one of those things where like you know your glasses break you're like oh i can't drink anymore like no you're good i mean you're set you're good um yeah. i look i'm a very frugal man i will i will tell you that you know if it's free it's it's for me like that's that's the johnny ginter philosophy that's really the ginter philosophy period frankly um 
But I, you know, there is one thing that I am an unbelievable snob about and I get so picky and I will pay three times what you would normally pay for it because I just, I refuse to eat an inferior version of this, which is uh, tomatoes. I am unbelievably picky <laughs> about tomatoes. I grew up, look, I grew up growing my own tomatoes. My grandparents had tomatoes in their backyard. My aunts and uncles all had tomatoes. We would compare. We would sit down and be like, oh, I don't know about this one. We'd be sniffing them. We'd be like feeling them like we're like trying to crack a safe, but really just trying to feel around <laughs> the tomatoes, see if they're the right you know, size and ripeness. I am unbelievably snobby about tomatoes. Uh, I refuse to eat store-bought tomatoes, these hydroponic, you know, pieces of crap from South America or wherever, where they just, you know, they grow them in the winter in some, you know, greenhouse. Um, I will go to any farmer's market that's selling these or, you know, these these nice farm-grown tomatoes, and I will sit there for 20 or 30 minutes, like, just like, like I'm appraising a diamond. Like, I'll go through that thing. I'll smell them. I'll like, oh, I don't know if it's the right, you know, redness of the skin. I'll go through all this crap just to get the best tomato and i i eat those things like apples like hand fruit um and i that's amazing i will pay so much money for a good set of tomatoes and, and honestly like <laughs> oh and, and, and these guys at these farmers markets are trying to give them away and i'm like man like, if you knew if you saw me come if you knew what kind of a mark i am for this stuff you would triple your prices immediately when i walk into your store because i just I'll, I'll pay super high premiums for good tomatoes it's just how i am i can't it's I, pretty it's pretty amazing i can't help it's it great they're well, delicious. I, there's, it, listen, that I would say as it is a fruit, right? That yeah. there's there are few fruits where the difference between a great one and a bad one are as big as they are with the tomato. Oh, I'll, I'll grant you that. Like a a bad tomato. One of my favorite sandwiches is a is a beef stick tomato done, yeah. you know, organic farmers market, whatever, sliced right. thick, two pieces of bread mayonnaise coming right out of the right out of the toaster put mayo on it salt and pepper and two, go, tomato, two tomato slices that's as good a sandwich as you'll have i mean that's yeah. delicious quite delicious they're, yeah they're really the perfect fruit and and like that's what's so infuriating to me when they're terrible and they're just like plasticky and they're like the inside yeah. is all just hard and green like i get so angry when I Valid. go to like I go to a restaurant, I'm like put a tomato on my sandwich, and it's like this piece of plastic that was shipped halfway around the world, and that it's yep, you know, it looks so good. like it's supposed to be a tomato, but it's like really one of those like plastic or polyurethane things that they sold in the seventies, and they you know, hey, I can cut it with a magnetic magnetic knife, and like, oh my god, it makes me so angry. So I will pay a stupid amount of money for good tomatoes, and for if you tomatoes. see Johnny Ginter yeah. coming towards your tomato stand, like I said. Triple those prices because I'll pay it. I don't give a crap. Amp them up. You're paying. Yep. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. So that's a, yeah. That's ask us anything. We will, uh, like I said, I, I kept a couple in reserve, uh, but please keep sending those in. Those are some excellent questions this week. Absolutely. All right. We are back next week. We will do this fine show again. And we we do thank you for listening. Please rate and follow. Subscribe on the iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Um, and until next week, my friend. Yep. See you next week.